Good morning, church. My name's Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time with us, we just want to take a minute to welcome you and uh, let you know that we're glad you're here. This is not normally how we gather at all. Uh, normally we meet at 10.30 a.m. at Pangborn Elementary on the north end, but right now we're uh, meeting for preaching at 10.30 on Facebook and on YouTube. And uh, if you're looking for a church or if you're looking to get involved or if you're just curious or a doubter, a seeker, a skeptic about God's Word or Christianity or anything like that, um, you are truly welcome here. Members, I just want to take a minute and let you know that Pastor Josh and I, we love you and we're praying for you. And uh, as best that we're able and as often as we can, we're trying to reach out to you and make sure that you're doing okay. We really, really, really want to care for you and to make sure that you're doing as good as can be expected right now. And we firmly believe that the mission of God is continuing right now and that God is still sitting on the throne right now and that encouragement can still be had and that the church can still be the church to each other. So in that spirit, if you need something, don't hesitate. Let us know. Call us. Text us. Send us an email. And if you need something or if you just want to talk, honestly, we're here for you. So members, we we really do love you and we're, we're praying for you. So today, as we jump into our text, we're continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark. Kind of. You know, honestly, we're cheating a little. I'm going to cheat a little. And we're going to actually be looking at the book of Luke today. So instead of the passage that we normally look at, which would be Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, we're going to look at one of the parallel passages, which says nearly the same thing in uh, more descriptive language. So the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. It'd be interesting in your free time if you want to compare Mark chapter 2 to Luke chapter 5 to see the similarities and the differences. Uh, but for our purposes today, let's hang out in Luke chapter 5. So in the Gospel of Luke, you're going to notice, and this is kind of a theme that we're going to hammer on a little bit this morning, that Jesus does a lot of eating with people. And it's through those shared meals that we see so much of his redemptive work playing out in the lives of so many different types of people. You know, there's something about sharing a meal with someone that just helps you connect with them. You laugh together. You catch, up, you catch up on what is going on in their life. Some of our most basic needs in life get met around the table. Physically, socially, spiritually. That's where it's at. For many of us, we have fond memories of a first date uh, with that someone that we love. And more often than not, what do you do on our first date? You go to dinner, you go to a movie. I don't know why, but that's just like the thing that you do. So for me, it's no different. One of the first and the most memorable connections that I had with my wife, Jill, started before we were even dating and it happened at a Thai restaurant. So I'm still convinced that in a way it was kind of a conspiracy between some of our friends to kind of set us up and get us in the same room together. We'd been interested in each other a while, honestly, and um, I just hadn't taken the 
the first leap. And so one day on a Sunday, right after church had gotten out, uh, we were in Martinsburg, West Virginia at a church that was a whole lot like what we do at Pangborn Elementary. And uh, the service was over and we were cleaning everything up, tearing it down and putting it back in the box so that we could put it back in the trailer so that we could um, put that trailer away and, and get ready for the next week, honestly. And so as we were all putting everything back, um, we started talking about the only thing that anybody ever talks about after church on a Sunday, and that's where you're going to go to eat. So everybody was talking, and um, it seemed like everybody had decided on this Thai place that was right down the street uh, from the Regal Cinemas that's on Foxcroft Avenue, or used to be. And um, so we heard, and, and we uh, just kind of like made a mental note, that's where we're going to eat lunch is at the Thai place. And so we finished teardown and we prayed with everybody. We got in our cars and whenever I pulled up to the Thai restaurant, there was only one other car in the parking lot. And I'm sure you can guess um, who that car belonged to. And so as we walked into the Thai restaurant, literally there was nobody else in the building except for the employees, except for Jill and I. Turns out that our friends had decided to go somewhere else and give us a little space. And um, I can still remember the atmosphere in that restaurant, which was awkward because I was like nervous out of my mind. And I can still remember uh, the meal that I ate, the firecracker chicken that I ordered from the Thai restaurant and uh, the conversation. Well, you know, I can't remember the conversation because I was so nervous. But uh, that first connection, that first meaningful experience between Jill and I happened around the table. And you know, around the table is where we find Jesus today. We find him dining with people that the culture around him found to be scandalous. We see Jesus at what is described in the Gospel of Luke as a great feast. You know, one commentator said that in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either coming away from a meal, he's getting ready for a meal, or he's sitting down to a meal. Eating meals with people was one of Jesus' strategies for advancing the Gospel. He connected with people, and around that table, he truly listened to them and loved them sacrificially. And he showed people grace at mealtimes in a way that so many other people just couldn't understand, honestly. So there was something special about the way that Jesus utilized mealtimes, and I think we can learn a little something from that. And we can also learn something about God from the way that we see how Jesus loves people that seem unlovable. So with that being said, let's jump into our passage for today. Luke chapter 5 starting in verse 27. God's word says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, 
Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Would you pray with me? Jesus, this morning, we know that hearing your word and doing your word is something that's truly miraculous. There are so many things in our lives and so many things, even in the room around us right now, as we're at home, that call to us and distract us. We know that there are so many things that would rather have our attention right now. And we know that the enemy competes right now with our minds and our hearts as we long to study the word. So God, we ask that by your spirit, you would help us to focus in, help us to have a moment where we can look at the book and truly be transformed. That we can look at your life and that we can look at your example and that we can see something truly beautiful and understand a little bit more about who you are. God, help us to be humble students of the word. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. So this morning, we can sum up what we're going to talk about in just a sentence. And we try to do this every Sunday at Hagerstown Church, honestly, because we know that attention spans get short sometimes. And sometimes the kids scream and sometimes there's distraction. And so we want you to know that if it's hard to focus, that uh, this is the main point of our text. And this is the main point of our time this morning. And so as you listen, you can filter everything through what uh, we're telling you is the main idea. So this morning, our main point is that Jesus seeks out despised people and shows them grace. And so should we. So the main idea, again, is that Jesus seeks out despised people and he shows them grace. And so should we. In this text, we see Jesus forming a relationship. You could even call it a friendship with Levi, who is a tax collector, someone who is despised in the community at large. Everybody could look at someone that was a tax collector and see something that maybe they didn't want to associate with. So this morning, we're going to notice three things in particular as we study the text. One, we're going to see Jesus's invitation. Then we're going to see the Pharisees' irritability. And lastly, we're going to see Jesus' intentions. So Jesus' invitation, the Pharisees' irritability, and Jesus' intentions. So those are three headings that we're going to be talking about. So let's jump into Jesus' invitation to Levi. So the first thing that we need to see from this passage is how Jesus' invitation to Levi, the tax collector, looks. So let's notice verse 27 and 28 again. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, here in our church, we believe in good, sound Bible study. 
not only on Sunday mornings, like what we're doing right now, but even during the week, whenever we get up in the mornings or whenever you happen to open the book and, and do your Bible reading for the day, we believe in really understanding what you're reading and really um, doing a study where you actually can understand what's going on. So we long to teach the skills to you uh, that'll make you a good reader and that'll make you understand and get more out of the word when you sit down and, um, and look to study. So this morning, I, I say this uh, to draw your attention to two little words at the very beginning of the passage. And if you're observant about your reading, you'll notice that they're pointing you somewhere. So the first two words in the passage are after this. So when we read phrases like after this, it kind of reminds you of the word therefore. And you know what the old preacher said about the word therefore. When you see it and when you read it, you got to ask, well, what is it there for? We got to be aware of our context, church. And so whenever we read after this, we get pointed to whatever happened before that. So what happened before this? So simply speaking, it's what Pastor Josh preached on before, last Sunday. So you can go back in the Facebook um, archives and you can see what was posted last Sunday. You can go to hagerstownchurch.org slash sermons and you can uh, subscribe to our podcast and you can see what Pastor Josh preached on last week. But simply, it's an encounter that Jesus had with a man who was paralyzed. There was a miracle that took place there. And when Jesus does this spectacular healing of the paralytic, we get a small picture of what the kingdom of God is going to look like. Where the curse gets rolled back. When the lame walk, when lepers get cleansed, when paralytics walk, and where unlikely people become candidates for God's grace. So in the context of Jesus bringing unlikely candidates into the kingdom, we see Levi. So here we see Jesus going about teaching the crowds and performing miracles, and he takes his time to stop and show grace to one man. Notice that. Jesus takes a break from ministering to crowds of hundreds and thousands to put his attention on just one man, Levi. Jesus is being intentional about sharing God's grace with individuals in his life and not just doing the work of public crowd ministry. Brother, sister, how you doing at this? How you doing at breaking from your rhythm and noticing the one? How about the folks that are easy to overlook? How are you doing at, at giving attention to individuals in your life. I don't know about you, but in the middle of all this pandemic and, and these unique times in which we live, um, God may not have given us a lot of things that we enjoy, but he has given me a, a little more margin than he used to, especially in the mornings and in the evenings. Think about it. In the morning time, we're not commuting like we used to for, for those of us that, that do actually commute to work. Think about the time in the mornings 
that you're not spending on the road. And then in the evenings, think about all that time that used to be taken up with weekly commitments that may not be there anymore. I don't know about you, but uh, Jill keeps this calendar and it's in the kitchen. It's right by the back door and it's a whiteboard and it, it's kind of like our our month at a glance. And so all of our like nightly commitments uh, will be kind of sketched out right there. And it used to be that like you'd really have to like get in really close and you have to kind of squint to make sure that you actually knew what was going on tonight because boom, 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 it's all lined up. Um, you know, it's not like that for us anymore. God's given us a little bit more margin. And so sometimes you can look at it and say, maybe I have some pandemic fatigue. Like what day is it even? I don't even understand. Um, but maybe take a chance, take a moment and look at it as the fact that God has given us a lot of margin that we can serve other people with. How can we be redeeming that time that God has given us right now this new rhythm that God has given us right now that who knows how long we'll have it. How can we be redeeming this time to notice the one? To really invest our lives in those people that it's so obvious to us need the good news. Or need a little encouragement. Or uh, need the perspective that God has given us as we've walked with him for years and years and years. How are we redeeming that time, church? How are you doing? I know I've been praying that God would help me to be a better steward of that time. But here we see Jesus being a great steward of it and Jesus being a good example for us. So let's focus in on Levi for a minute. The only thing we know about Levi, and maybe you can go to other texts and, and find out more about him as he becomes a disciple and serves. But right now, as we're reading this book, all we know about Jesus, or Levi, is that he was a tax collector and that when Jesus saw him, he was at work. Like, literally, he was sitting at the tax booth. That's what we know about him. We know that he was a tax collector because he was sitting in the booth and that he was sitting in the booth, which means he was on the clock. You know, you don't have to know much more about Levi other than that to know that he was an unlikely candidate for grace. I don't know how much you know about tax collectors. If you're familiar with the Bible, you may have kind of like a feeling, um, like an icky feeling about tax collectors, but they were not exactly a, a desirable uh, people. It wasn't exactly a profession that everybody coveted. Think of about, um, think about how much some of us hate the IRS. Think about how so many of us uh, dread April 15th, or what is it this year, like July 15th. So think about the IRS. Think about um, all the negative feelings that we can uh, attach to them. And then like amplify that by like 100. And then you'll have the biblical uh, tax collector pattern. So these guys, these tax collectors in uh, first century Israel, they operated with pretty shady parameters. So uh, here it is. They worked for the Roman government and uh, they all had a quota. They knew how much money in taxes from the region that they needed to collect. And you know, past that, um, 
things got a little gray, I guess you could say. So they knew how much money they needed to send back to Rome. Um, but other than that, things were kind of up to them. And as you can imagine, and as you know about human nature, um, things quickly became corrupt. So they would meet their quota, obviously, because they had to if they wanted to keep a job. But they had to make a living on top of that. And they weren't receiving commission. They weren't working on some sort of a percentage. Um, Rome basically let them know that whatever they wanted to collect over and above the quota was uh, what they had to live on. And so tax collectors made out pretty good. They lived a life of, uh, you know, there's no easier way to say it than extortion. They got as much money as they could from wherever they thought was possible, and they made a really good living for themselves. But it was at the expense of public perception. Let's just put it that way. These folks were not uh, revered in the community. They earned a place as outcasts in Jewish society. But, you know, it wasn't just the money that made them outcasts. It was the fact that they worked for Rome. And when the Jewish people would come in and they would see someone like Levi, they would be reminded not only of the bills that they owed, but they'd be reminded of the fact that their homeland was occupied by a foreign power. It kind of reminds me of uh, maybe how... Um, a citizen of India would have felt as they would walk in and pay taxes to the colonial British government back in the day uh, during the occupation. It wasn't just the fact that they owed these people money and they knew that they weren't ethical. It was the fact that they reminded the people of an occupation that they despised. So there were so many things layering on top of things that reminded the people that Levi was not somebody that they should actually hang out with or have dinner with. And yet, even knowing all that, Jesus called on this man to follow him. How scandalous is this? It's almost like the children's Bibles don't do this story justice. You know, I can only think of two people in the New Testament that were identified as tax collectors. You have Levi and you have Zacchaeus. So you have Levi who becomes Matthew and he's a disciple. So, you know, he can't be that bad. And then you have Zacchaeus, you know, and he has that little song, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know the song. Um, how bad could tax collectors be? I mean, after these two people. But, you know, if you put it in perspective, in all honesty, Levi being called by Jesus was like Jesus asking a drug dealer to follow him. It was like Jesus asking a mob boss to follow him. I'm not trying to be politically incorrect, but there's just a connotation to the position that Levi held. And it draws my attention to the fact that somehow we think, and they thought back in the day, that some people look more ready and are more ready 
to follow Jesus than other people. Jesus' choice in this passage shows us that God doesn't play by the same rules that we might assume. And that God's grace really does, apart from maybe our preconceived notions, extend to every single person. So right here we see Jesus' call to Levi, his invitation. Not only do we see that, but we see the Pharisees' irritability. So we see Jesus' invitation is clear and simple to Levi. Just two words. Follow me. And Levi immediately obeyed and dropped everything. His job, his money, and probably some of his friends. Just to follow the Lord. Levi is a shining example of how Jesus is not looking for us to clean ourselves up, but to simply obey him and trust that he'll give us the strength to walk with him. And just as naturally as can be, Jesus and Levi progress from that interaction straight to the dinner table. Levi, newly connected with Jesus and transformed by him, he makes a huge dinner for Jesus and he invites him over to hang out and to meet his friends. This is the reaction. He follows Jesus. He makes that decision. And all of a sudden he's making dinner and inviting over his friends. So here we have the God of the universe, the Lord of all creation, the promised King of Israel, eating dinner with some of the most despised and rejected and socially unacceptable people in the whole land. Enter Pharisees, you know, right on time. The Pharisees always know how to make an entrance, right? If you're not familiar with them, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, but they could probably be better described, at least in my opinion, as what I would call the morality police. They truly were the religious authorities for Israel. And their purpose in life was to enforce the 613 Jewish laws that helped keep order in the land. You see, Jewish people felt really strongly about what was clean and what was unclean. Spe specific types of food, specific places, even people with certain diseases or conditions could all be considered unclean and therefore unfit to be around. They had this obsession with cleanliness because they thought in order for God's kingdom to truly begin in Israel, they had to keep themselves away from anything that was considered unclean. So, here you see the Pharisees inviting themselves to the party. You know, most likely they didn't even come inside at the party because they were afraid of being contaminated by the social status of these folks. So they stood outside, looking in through a window or, or something like that. And the text says that the Pharisees began to grumble. They whined to the disciples. They said, why do you and why do Jesus, why do any of you eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, Pharisees had a problem with this. Because sharing a meal was a big deal in Jewish culture. If you shared the table with somebody, it was a sign of friendship and association. 
And friendship and association with these folks just didn't add up, honestly. People took who you ate with seriously. And kind of in an informal sense, you can, you can kind of feel that the same thing is true today. Have you ever been in a restaurant? I, I know I have been and, and looked over at somebody, and I'm, I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, but you'll look at a table and you'll say, you know, I just didn't picture those folks together. And uh, maybe it's because uh, one of them is business casual and the other one's like wearing flip-flops or, or, or something like that. But some sort of social signal about the table and the situation makes you think, you know, that seems like an odd pairing. So in the same way, um, it's natural for us to assume and, and to see that people don't normally share meals with strangers. Normally, the people that you're eating with are your family or somebody that you've chosen to associate with on a business level or on a, um, a friendship level or, or something like that. You've, you've gone out of your way to put something on your calendar so that you can connect with this person. So whenever the Pharisees see Jesus connecting with these people, it angers them. It seems incompatible to them that this association would be taking place. They are unclean in the eyes of the Pharisees, and it went against everything they believed. Honestly, when you got down to the core of, of their theology, it looked like the opposite of what they thought God's kingdom was going to look like. And so that, along with many other things, as we'll see next week, put the Pharisees at odds with the Lord. So we've seen Jesus' invitation to Levi. We see the Pharisees' irritability with Jesus. And lastly, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus had intentions, and he made those intentions clear. So we see that the Pharisees aren't happy with the choices that Jesus is making in his ministry. So they're asking him why he's doing what he's doing. But, you know, they don't even ask him directly. They go to his disciples. This is probably because every time that they talk straight to Jesus, he kind of makes a fool out of them, honestly. Um, he pretty much tears their arguments to shreds. So instead of going straight to the Lord, they whine to his disciples. They don't even go to the subject of their concern. They go to a third party and they whine. Why does he eat with these people, tax collectors, sinners? But, you know, the Lord just cuts straight through the red tape. Even though the Pharisees are not speaking straight to him, Jesus responds to them directly. And he gives them an answer that cuts straight to the heart. Look at this, verse 31 and 32. Jesus answered them and said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So as we kind of land the plane today, let's look at how Jesus looks at this situation from two different angles. All right, quick hits here. The first and most obvious angle on this is that Jesus is clearly stating his purpose for coming to earth. 
he says clearly, I have come to call sinners to repentance. There's his mission statement right there. He's not figuring out, he's not figuring things out as he goes. He knows why he's here. And it's to call sinners to repentance. In effect, Jesus is saying to them, you think that this dinner I'm having isn't helping my mission, but you just don't understand my mission. This is exactly the reason why I came. So that's the first one. Second, notice how Jesus subtly yet powerfully subverts the logic that the Pharisees are using whenever they're even talking to him. So Jesus accepts their terms in a sense. And he says that I know tax collectors have a low social status. He refers to the tax collectors as sick folks and as sinners. He concedes that to the Pharisees. And he refers to the Pharisees as those who are righteous and well in terms of health. Yet, inside the frame of sickness and health, sinners and righteous, Jesus embeds a harsh rebuke for the Pharisees. Listen to those verses again now that we have that context. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well, meaning the Pharisees, have no need of a physician. But those who are sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You hear that directness in his voice now? So as we kind of close today, there's only three people, three types of people that are listening to this message right now. I promise. You're in one of these three groups. The first group says, I'm just too bad. You don't know me. You haven't met me, or maybe you have. But if you really knew who I really was, if you knew the things that I had done, if you know the things that I had thought, then you would agree with me, and you would know that God just wouldn't accept me. I've gone too far. I've done too many things. I've just been bad for too long. So there's the first type. The second type says, not, I'm too bad, but they say, I'm really that good. God has to accept me because I see the standards here and, and we know what the standards are. And um, I'm just gonna let you know, I really am that good, honestly. You know, you want me to read my Bible? Got it. I set my alarm every morning. I get up, I do it. I've memorized all the verses. I'm right here. You want me to sing on Sunday mornings? What harmony part you want me to sing? I'm here. Just give me the music. I am going to do whatever you ask of me. You know why? Because I'm really that good. Honestly, God has to accept me. I see the law. I see the rules. I'm playing by the rules. And I'm winning because I'm that good. And you know, that sounds really funny whenever you say it like that. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're acting like that. And I'm acting like that sometimes. Knowing what religion requires of people, knowing what church folks are expecting, and just putting on the mask and saying, I can play by that. 
I can blend in with that crowd. So you have those people there saying, uh, me being good enough and me giving to the church and me uh, attending on Sunday mornings is good enough and God has to accept me because I'm obeying. So you have those folks there. So I'm too bad. God would never accept me no matter what. I'm really that good and there's no way that God would ever turn me down. But then you have a third group of people. And honestly, these are the only three types of folks that I can imagine are listening today. The third group of people would say, you know, as a person, I am messed up. And uh, if you really knew who I was, then uh, you would know that I have no right to come to the table. You would know that um, I don't have a place with God or with the church because um, I'm falling short. But if God would choose to have mercy on me, I'd be eternally thankful. I uh, wouldn't even know what to say because I know that I would never be able to do anything to merit God's grace. That's the type of perspective that the Lord is looking for. That's the type of mentality that we should be longing to have. And so Jesus call today for each and every one of us and for you is simple. If you're not a believer today, nothing that you have ever done is too bad for the Lord to forgive. You're not too far gone. God has done all the heavy lifting of that sin for you when Jesus died on the cross. Trust him. Give your life to him today. Reach out to us and, and see what the next steps are. His grace is waiting for you. And for the believer, let the gospel and the truth of that grip you in a fresh way. So church, this week, as we continue our weeks, let's ask the Lord for opportunities to really connect with folks in a way that can open doors for the gospel. Let's take time away from the noise this week and connect with one or two people that God's laying on our hearts. Let's truly minister to those people and be faithful in the midst of trying times. Hagerstown Church, go and shine the gospel in your circles and with your connections this week. You are sent.